0: Welcome to the very first Monday and week of November, everyone. And welcome to WPKN 89.5, listener-supported radio. And furthermore, welcome to this edition of What's Happening, New Haven. I'm Bonnie Likes with Sean Bigler at the board, and we are delighted to cover a couple of very special organizations this hour that we think you'll enjoy tuning into. And uh, as we pretty much all gather these days, the calendar for the city of New Haven is a rather strange beast. Things are indeed largely online, but the good news is things are still vibrant and indeed happening. And today we'll touch base with two organizations aforementioned that are percolating with promise and proactive intention. They're adapting and moving forward and they'd love it if you knew they're out there doing just that. First up this hour, we're going to get uh, to know a wonderful cause and we'll have an articulate, responsible guide joining us in just a moment. We'll be sharing a talk with the Greater New Haven Cat Project. They are a nonprofit, volunteer staffed organization dedicated to improving the lives of stray, abandoned, and feral cats in the Greater New Haven area of Connecticut. With us is the project's president, Cheryl DiFilippo. And she has much to share and let me just say that one of the elements about the New Haven Cat Project I've been really struck with is how thorough they are in handling the concerns and issues related to feral cats. They understand not only the behavior of negligent humans and their misconceptions about felines, but they understand how cats survive and sadly also may not survive to their potential with uh, their unique issues and limitations if those aren't addressed realistically, as you'll soon hear. They really make an effort to leave no cat behind and are amazing in keeping that attention uh, constantly in the works. So let's connect now with the president of the Greater New Haven CAT Project. Welcome to the program, Cheryl Filippo. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Well, I very much appreciate the opportunity to, to, um, to speak to you and to speak about the CAT Project. It's a very um, significant part of my life and any time that I can talk about the organization I welcome the opportunity because it's a fabulous organization, and I really appreciate your making the time to to think about us and to have us on the show. Our great pleasure. And maybe we should start with the essential
0: question first. Cheryl, tell us how and when the New Haven Cat Project began. Was there a particular cat or occurrence that got the ball rolling to inspire its inception?
1: Well, way back in 1996, there was a group of people who got together um, in New Haven, and they were concerned about the outdoor cat population. And they wanted to do something, you know, to address the outdoor cat population in a humane way. And that was before I became involved. But this group um, was comprised of, um, I don't know if you remember, Esther Meckler? Esther was, um, I think, the founding person of an organization called Spay USA. Ah, that had become a big spay neuter resource, but Esther and uh, there were other people. Actually, our current vice president, her name is Diane Frost. She was one of the people at that meeting, and and they came together and formed a group, and you know, grassroots that was going to try to do what they could to address the outdoor cat population and in 1998 the Grady New Haven cat project actually became incorporated and you know we filed for our 501c3 charitable organization status Um, you know where we're registered with the uh, Connecticut Secretary of State um, and uh, the consumer protection you know we filed with all the uh, relevant agencies to sort of make us a credible resource, you know, way back when. And um, it started as a a small group discussion, and here we are, you know, 23 years later, and we've basically become a cornerstone resource for the Greater New Haven community.
0: Wow, wonderful. Uh, Tell us too, Cheryl, about the upcoming Feral Feline Festival. When is it,
1: and will this event unfold online? So actually, um, this is this has been a very challenging year for so many people yes. on so many different levels, and the Feral Feline Festival is the organization's largest fundraiser, and it um, it's a BYOB dance, and we would have live music, and we have these fabulous raffle baskets mm. um, that our volunteers solicit donations and put the baskets together. And I mean, this this organization at uh, this event would typically bring in about ten thousand dollars for the organization which would help to get us through the winter months. But Mm -hmm. this year, um, because of all the challenges that we're facing, it's actually going to be an online virtual event where our raffle baskets are going to be available online for a period of 14 days. So starting on Saturday, November 7th through Saturday, November 14th. Oh no, that's actually, that's only seven days, is it? Um, people are going to be able to to bid on our baskets, uh-huh. but but because we have a constituency that may not necessarily be adept at you know purchasing things online or whatnot, we're actually going to have a select group of baskets at the Cap Project Center on State Street in New Haven available for people to come in and um, purchase tickets on Saturday, November seventh, and on Saturday, November fourteenth and we're going to implement, you know, appropriate social distancing and everyone does have to wear a face mask, but we want to be able to capture all the people that used to be able to come to the event or to participate in the event. And, you know, for those who can't purchase something online, you know, we're hoping that they can stop by the center on November 7th or November 14th between 11 and 4 and actually purchase tickets the old-fashioned way as if they were at the event.
0: Fantastic. Cheryl, how is it? Let's let's really get down to further business and talk about cats. How is it that so many cats become feral? Is it mostly from abandonment?
1: Yes, it is. Um, you know, I when when people call the organization for assistance, you know, a lot of people are concerned, a lot of people are frustrated, a lot of people are angry, and I always say to them, look, you know, these cats don't just fall from the sky. Mm-hmm. They are here because of an irresponsible person. And, you know, uh, whether it be on um, in a neighborhood where people have moved away and they've left their cats behind, a lot of times those cats are not spayed or neutered. Two cats, two months, and you have a litter of kittens. And, you know, that's how the feral colonies begin. Um, you know, I... Uh, studies have shown university campuses, military bases, you know, areas of cities that, um, you know, are are comprised of people that don't have the means to, you know, to feed their families. I mean, these are these are places where the highest population of outdoor cats exist, and you know, we we implemented our trap neuter return program to humanely address the the problem of the outdoor cat population because it, it reduces the number of cats that are being born outside, so it breaks the cycle of reproduction. It reduces the, the male cats who are fighting over mates, and um, it, it brings better health to the cats once they're altered because all of that energy that they would have put into mating, you know, now is processed internally so that their immune systems are much better. But the cats don't have to be outside in order to procreate. Um, You know, we have well-intentioned people who rescue stray cats that bring them in. Mm -hmm. And same thing, two cats, two months, you have a litter of kittens. And, you know, when people get overwhelmed or their situation in life changes and they're looking for a solution and they can't find it, desperate people do desperate things. You know, just just this past week, I got an email at 1 o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. from somebody who told me that they left two cats in a box outside the cat project on State Street Oh dear! because they were about to be abandoned. 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, gosh. You know, I got a volunteer there at 6 o'clock. She was able to put the box in her car. And sure enough, within 20 minutes... While in her car, one of the cats got out of the box. Oh boy, yeah. You know, so had we not been able to get there just in the nick of time, that could have been a tragic situation. Yes. But, you know, but we try to, we we do offer a low-cost spay neuter assistance program for people who have either taken in a stray cat, gotten a kitten or a cat from a friend. We don't care where you get your cat from. We want to help you get it spayed or neutered, and we want to educate you about being a responsible pet owner. You know, for the people who are feeding cats that live outside, we want those people to come forward and ask for help so that we can manage that colony. Yes. So that there aren't kittens being born, there aren't male cats fighting. And we wanna educate those people about the proper way to feed outdoor cats and to provide shelter for outdoor cats. You know, the it's a double-edged sword because we want people to come forward, but we can't handle all the calls that we get Mm -hmm. we just don't have the human resources we don't have the financial resources and that's why we need for people to sort of get involved in their own communities you know take charge you know get a trap neuter return program going or if you know somebody that has a bunch of cats inside reach out to them and say to them look there are organizations that can help you get your cats spayed or neutered we don't have any enforcement authority We're not animal control. Mm We're here to help. Yes. You know, and and, um, we get frustrated too, you know, because people who are feeding cats outside, you know, they'll call up and they'll say, oh, well, I've been feeding these cats for two years. Uh, And now instead of having two cats, I have 20. Yes. And, you know, it's just, it's trying to let people know that we're an available resource, but that they also need to get involved themselves because this isn't a problem that can be resolved by one person or one organization. You know, when, when I first got involved in the CAP project, I remember I was in charge of retrieving messages off of the answering machine and responding to those assistance calls. And at first I was like, oh my goodness, look at all these organizations that are available to help. And then I sat and I thought about it and I said, well, this is kind of sad. Because for every breed of cat, Siamese, Maine Coon, you know, Bombay, there is a rescue organization. And that's because people think that they get these animals and a lot of people get them as gifts. They don't want to invest any money in them and then they discard them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it just takes one minute of not wanting a cat, putting it outside, that cat becomes stray. There's always, you know, an an outdoor male cat that's not neutered, roaming the neighborhood looking for a mate, Mm -hmm. and then the problem begins. You know, um, a lot of it is public education. I have been trying to, you know, reach out to property management companies to say, listen, allow your people to have pets, allow your, your constituents to have pets, but have them demonstrate that that pet's been spayed or neutered, whether it be a dog or a cat because if they move and they leave their animal behind, yes, they've still abandoned an animal, but it's sterilized. You're not gonna have you know, an outdoor cat problem.
0: Yes, yes, and, and what about rabies and, and other other diseases? Is, does this figure into it in, in, a, in a large number or is that under control by and large?
1: Well, uh, cats and rabies is very rare. Ah, so okay. rabies are not, cats are not a rabies vector species. You know, you have your raccoons, your skunks, your foxes, and and cats actually act as a buffer when they're outside because they have to be bitten by a rabid animal mm. and track the virus before they become a public health hazard. I see. And, you know, it's, it's very rare in cats. And actually, when the outdoor cats are spayed or neutered, they also get a rabies vaccination. You know, so that's another reason why outdoor cats, you know, people who are feeding them should come forward and ask for help because the cats also get their vaccinations.
0: Yes. And Cheryl, tell us, uh, slightly switching to a, a, a related topic, your adoption process. How can people connect with the available cats? What's that overall process like?
1: So we are very particular about who adopts cats from the organization. And that is because we feel that that the cats that we've taken into foster care are lucky to have been rescued once. Mm. So we have an online screening form that's available through our website and people, you know, would go onto the website, complete the online screening form, and then we actually want to call their veterinarian to sort of get a reference from the veterinarian. Uh, you know, okay. we want to find out what kind of a pet owner was this person. Was their cat in for annual wellness exams? Is their cat up to date on vaccines? You know, and and we try to elicit as much information from the veterinarian office as we can. Mm -hmm. If the person has a spotty veterinary history, then we also ask for a personal reference, you know, on the application. And we want to do as much um, background information as we can about how responsible this person has been as a pet owner. If the person hasn't owned a pet before you know then we would call their personal reference and then we have a a conversation with the person and if we feel comfortable we actually invite them in for an appointment so that they can spend some time with our foster cats and we 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 do everything this way we want to schedule appointments and we want to get to know people and we want to see how they interact with our cats. That makes sense and, because
0: it would, it, it, it dissuades the, the the notion of like buying, buying a little kitten or having a, excuse me, having a kitten as a gift on just a whim, like, oh, isn't it cute? Here's a little bow for an Easter present or something. And then the, the cat isn't well taken care of after this, you know, little notion of giving it as a gift or something.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Especially around Christmas time. Yes. You know, people go shopping at Christmas time and, you know, a lot of times we'll get calls And people will say, oh, you know, I'm looking for a kitten for my nephew for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And my first question will be was, you know, does the nephew's parents know that you're going to give him a kitten? And then we would want the parents to go through the application process because you're absolutely right. You know, it's not like you're going to Toys R Us and bringing home a stuffed animal this is a twenty-year commitment. Yes, and we want to make sure that that family is ready for that commitment.
0: And why are kittens uh, best adopted in pairs, Cheryl? Oh,
1: because if you work full time or if you're out of the house for you know six to seven hours a day, uh, they can redecorate. <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> they're they're adorable and they're fun and they're full of energy but they need they need stimulation right? and 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 they need to be sort of quote unquote with their own kind so so kittens together will play with one another they learn social skills from one another you know especially if one kitten is shy and the other one's very outgoing the shy one is going to benefit from that Um, we like to adopt kittens together if there aren't any other companion animals in the house but you know, if somebody has a dog, then we will consider adopting out a single kitten, because the kitten will learn a lot from the dog as well, because dogs are also great companion animals. Um, but, you know, the kittens have a lot of energy and they need to, they need to be able to play during the day.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And at night. <laughs> right. It sounds so, you know, that has integrity uh, and, and you, you know what's going to happen with the cats when after you close the door for work, you know, uh, they need that physical exercise and, and connection. Um, Cheryl, tell us about the, the Tommy Fund. How did this begin?
1: So the Tommy fund began actually a short while after the organization came into being. Um, So the Tommy fund is um, a designated fund for cats that need extraordinary treatments. Um, You know, so Ah. when we, when we rescue a cat um, or if you're taking care of a stray cat outside, you know, that cat will get its vaccines. It'll get spayed or neutered, but say um, somebody needs to have, you know, an eye removed or, a leg amputation, mm. or there's a blockage, and um, you know not so much X ray X rays because those are considered to be routine veterinary services, but an ultrasound. The Tommy Fund um, is just designated to help pay for those expenses, whether it be for a foster cat that we've taken in, or um, you know a stray cat that that is outside. Um, and so when someone donates to the Tommy Fund you know, we have those funds set aside so that, you know, we make sure that those funds are used for the intended purpose.
0: Yes. And now tell us about the Farm Home Project. What is this?
1: Oh, so the Barn Home Project came into being years ago. It was actually something that I had started, geez, maybe about um, 20 years ago. And, you know, a lot of times when we engage in trap-neuter return, where we catch the cats that are living outside um, a lot of times they're in situations where um, they're not getting fed regularly or it's an area where um, it's probably not the safest area for them Um, what we would do is we would relocate those cats to to barn homes and We actually had, um, we would take out ads in in, uh, horse magazines. Um, You know, we did a a big mailing in, in um, in the early days. And, you know, we would find people that were interested in taking on barn cats, but had to sort of go along with the procedures that we wanted in place. Because you can't just take a cat from the city and bring them to the country and let them out the door and say, here's your new home. Because the cat isn't going to have any association with that new environment. So, when we were doing the barn home relocations, we would provide the barn home with very large dog crates that would be able to hold a litter box, a bed, you know, bowls. And we would have them keep the cats, um, you know, one per crate in those crates for a minimum of two to three weeks. And we would ask them to move the crates around. They'd be in the barn one day you know, put them outside during the day, um, you know, but bring them back in just so that the cats could sort of become familiar with, you know, the new environment, the smells of the new environment, the noises and, and the people. And then, you know, there are so many things that are familiar to cats. And one of the things that's very familiar is the litter box content. And we would say, instead of throwing that out, you know, spread it around the perimeter of your property because you're trying to establish familiarity for these cats that have no idea what their new home is all about and um, we did a lot of barn cats years ago a a lot of barn cat relocations years ago and we've actually slowed down quite a bit because what's happened over the years is um, barns and horse farms and just regular farms are a good place for people to drop cats off And, you know, we were finding that as we were reaching out to people, they would be like, oh, well, I already have a mom and kittens that somebody dropped off. And, you know, it's another it's another one of these abandonment um, issues that needs to be dealt with. Yes. People just think, you know, okay, well, let me take Kitty to the country and put her on this nice farm. And, you know, I'm sure these people will take care of her. There's other cats. And guess what? She can eat mice, you know, and and. So, so, we kind of backed off on doing the barn home relocations. Um, most of them were successful, some of them were not. And you know that's the whole part of this whole rescue is you have to you have to accept the fact that you can't help every cat, you can't help every person, and you're going to have many successes, but you're also going to have failures. And you have to be able to focus on what you can do. Because if you if you just focus on the things that go wrong, then you're just going to get burnt out, and you're not going to be effective.
0: Right, Cheryl. You know? This is such a a fantastic uh, help to our community. This this is an amazing contribution. Unfortunately, we are uh, running out of time now. But I uh, we would like you to shout out any information you'd like to share, website address, or anything else you'd like to share in closing.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes. So our website. Is, so the name of the organization Greater New Haven Cat Project. Our our acronym is everywhere. So our website is gnhcp.org, and if you go onto the website, you'll see our adoptable cats. You'll see the information for the upcoming Feral Feline Festival. We also have a calendar fundraiser going on, where people can order um, you know calendars for Christmas gifts and whatnot. There's information about our Trap Neuter Return program. The Tommy Fund program, Um, you'll find information about resources. If you have a cat that, you know, is having litter box issues or scratching issues, it's a very, I think, it's a very comprehensive resource for people looking for any kind of assistance pertaining to their cats. Um, You know, I I welcome everybody that can to come down to our center on State Street, New Haven on November 7th between 11 and four. And November 14th between 11 and 4 to look at our fabulous feline feral festival baskets um, fantastic like I before everything will be socially distanced and you know wearing masks hand san- hand sanitizer we're very aware of um, you know trying to keep everybody as safe as possible
0: Cheryl thank you so much for coming on the program with this very important information. Uh, for a beautiful cat population to stay healthy and well cared for, and and it's so helpful for the community at large to put animals in their perfect beautiful place in our lives because they're so important. Thank you so much for coming on What's Happening New Haven today, and we wish you the best of luck.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great day, Cheryl. Thank you. You too.
0: We continue this hour it's time to get happy yep it's gonna be a happy half because in just a moment, we'll be with Kat Manning of the Connecticut Brewers Guild. And by brew, we mean beer, but not just any beer. In our rather weird world these days, there are ways to still enjoy life to the full. And many people not only love a great beer, but there is a deep abiding art form behind what's known as craft beer, as I'm sure many of you are aware. Let me tell you a little bit about the Connecticut Brewers Guild. Uh, with a big emphasis on Connecticut, because this is very much a local scene. To kick things off, here is their mission statement. The Connecticut Brewers Guild was founded in June 2012 to promote the interests of the fledgling craft beer scene in Connecticut. As of January 2020, the Connecticut beer scene boasts more than 110 operational breweries with many more in the planning. The goal of the Guild is to further promote our local breweries, move forward on Guild member initiatives that foster profitability and increase public awareness of all in-state breweries and legislative actions. But having read that, let me assure you, there is much to unpack with the Guild. And we have Kat Manning with us. She'll be taking us on a virtual tour of the Connecticut Brewers Guild, the history, what the art of craft beer brewing is all about, which even if you're not a beer lover, I think you'll find interesting in terms of artisan talent, local commerce, and community. Kat Manning, thanks for joining us on What's Happening, New Haven.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: Kat, maybe we better start with telling listeners how the Connecticut Brewers Guild came to be. How did the organization get its start?
2: It all started a few years ago when there started to be more breweries in the state. And so it was this collective way of working towards changing laws and working towards the betterment of the craft beer community. And so now we have an executive director phil pappas and then me who works in marketing and managing all of the membership for for the breweries um and then working towards changing laws still and there's you know there's always more to go and initiatives to achieve and it's a really booming and ever-changing ever industry. Wow, sounds
0: fascinating. And with beer as a stimulant notwithstanding, Kat, in your opinion, what is it that makes craft beer so alluring really as kind of a subculture?
2: I think that what's exciting about craft beer is that it's being produced on a large scale. Or, uh, on, sorry, it's being produced on a small scale. <laughs> right, 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 gotcha. So it's not something that, is just sort of like life dependent it's something that can be played with and if it's not great it can be dumped out down the drain and it really is a way for breweries to sort of have the flexibility to try new things and create something that maybe is a traditional style or historical style or maybe something that they dreamt about or you know maybe there maybe strawberries are in season and they wanted to throw those in <laughs> it's it's accessible yes. to everyone and um, dramatically different.
0: And there's something about it that engages a sense as it really brings people together.
2: It does. It's something for people to bond over. Everyone likes to go out and be with this community and and craft beer is something where you can say, Hey, did you try that new beer over in um, we'll say in Wallingford and then someone might drive from New Canaan to go try it because someone mentioned it and then it's something to talk about. It's something to talk about. And and maybe you like it or maybe you don't, but it's still this exciting experience.
0: That That's amazing. And Kat, can you share with us some of the ancient history about beer making? Because I, I, didn't it start with monks or something?
2: The monk it's, culture? It started with the settling of man. <laughs> 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 so beer, beer is as old as bread. And so when people were settling for the first time and beginning to farm you know they're trying to figure out how to keep their their food for the winter and so they started fermenting and that's where mm. and that's where beer beer started
0: right and with just a brief overview what kind of process actually goes into the making of beer is there is there like an overall process that applies to all recipes across the board
2: you know it starts with a with a yeast of some sort and with hops of course and Um, there's like a base structure, you know, you have to boil it and you can change the temperature and, um, you can add different, different varieties of hops, but there's always this base recipe and actually a lot of German, you know, you know, Germany is sort of this like Mecca of beer Yes. and they only, uh, only allow seven ingredients in their beers. And so to work with those seven ingredients and to manipulate them, to create these different styles, is really strict over there, but over in, you know, in other countries and in other sort of beer cultures, we can throw, you know, like milk duds in there <laughs> or whatever we want and,
0: <laughs> and
2: create this alternative recipe where, um, where there is a baseline to follow, but with the right structure, you can, you can really add anything <laughs>
0: <laughs> any any notion as to why the number 7 is that just an arbitrary number or maybe through careful uh, comparative uh, <laughs> research if you will uh, over many years they said no more than 7 beyond that point it, it it just goes askew is that is that do you know why 7
2: I think they say that after if you add more ingredients it's no longer beer
0: but ah.
2: you know i mean you could add five different kinds of hops alone <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, I think that it's sort of um a traditional structure and the initiation of beer, the formation of beer um sort of like a a nod of the head to to where it all started.
0: Yeah, I guess with with more than those that number of ingredients it kind of turns into applejack on a wooden porch. It's like it it turns into more of a stew or something like right. that.
2: Right. Yeah, it's just it's just a totally different style. Um and it's it's funny, like uh, like Lambic style or, or really, I guess you could generalize it to sours were some of the first styles of beer ever created. Mm. And um, that's really where you found the, the complexity of, you know, what you're aging it in or um, the different yeast that you're using, the different strains. And it's it's really fascinating to see what you can do with baseline ingredients or what you can do with. With simply what you're storing the beer in as and, it's going. Yeah,
0: I remember seeing an ad for Guinness many years ago that implied like having a pint of day is a good idea for the health, and I think they even called it a meal in a glass. Now, might a <laughs> craft brewer agree with these notions because of the care and ingredients
2: they use? Yeah, I think that a lot of, I mean, a lot of beer is is pretty good for your gut. I mean, there's there's the you know, it's fermented product, so it has those those probiotics and prebiotics that sort of should help the lining of, of your of your bodily functions. <laughs> yes, that's and, um, very important. And it's something too that that people would bring with them on Arctic explorations, like it is a meal. And, mm-hmm. you know, beer is not low calorie necessarily. And so it's, it's sort of just, yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of people would agree with beer is a meal. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Because for one thing, it's got carbs. And if you are you know, dealing with uh, cold weather, or if if you're part of a migrant population, <laughs> traversing across the continent, I can see how beer would have been like the the beverage of choice, the 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 ancient smoothie, if you will.
2: Yeah, and you're getting you're getting your iron.
0: <laughs> hey, there you go, there you go. So now let's get down to some details of the Connecticut Brewers Guild you guys had an event planned for mid-november which is why we wanted you on the november edition of what's happening new haven but have have moved it to april so what is this gathering going to look like cat what's going to be happening at this event
2: we're really hoping that that april can happen and as as with everyone in in their process of planning for events we're hoping to keep a safe and comfortable environment for anyone who comes Um, Typically, it's a 3000 person event. And we have four different sessions where we have VIP session where you sort of get, um, you know, less less of a line and more of an opportunity to ask questions or try something that might be limited, limited to the amount that the brewer brought. Um, And then we have security guards all day, you know, to make sure people aren't aren't overindulging. But if you do, we work with Lyft, where you Mm -hmm. can get a safe ride home. Mm -hmm. And it's this really great way to try the majority of craft beer that Connecticut has to offer. We had 68 breweries signed up for this year. Um, That's all we could physically fit into the Toyota Oakdale Theater in Wallingford. In
0: Wallingford. (laughs) Okay, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, With 117 breweries in the state, that's a a pretty significant amount in one spot.
0: And so if, if there is, you know, we can only assume that social distancing will be very much still a part of, of what we'll be dealing with. Um, it, so there'll be a limited amount of, of uh, people to pass through the door at, at a given time. Maybe people can come in in different cycles or shifts. Is that how it might work?
2: We're currently working out different tiers for the event, whether Gosh. some people opt to do a virtual event or maybe an idea we had the other day was sort of strapping body cams onto some people and Gosh. tuning into that viewer. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, right. Or or whether it's time slots or if we do... You know, it's it's, it's all very tricky trying to figure out what, what we can do, but we're, we're hoping to be able to provide a a safe environment. And of course, if that's not possible, we're not gonna host an event. Um, As safety is our our biggest priority all the time, realistically, (laughs) while working in the beverage industry. Yes. (laughs) But especially in the beverage industry during a global pandemic.
0: Right, totally, totally. (laughs) We will see what happens as as winter unfolds and we come into spring. I'm sure you guys will probably know your answer by uh, perhaps early March.
2: Yeah, I'm sure by then. And I mean, and as we reopen in the different phases, we're working closely with our legislators to be as up to date as possible. And with the Toyota Oakdale Theater and and the town of Wallingford to make sure that that, you know, everything will run as smoothly as possible and that there won't be any sort of risk that won't be otherwise understood, you know. Yeah, it sounds
0: like you guys are totally on the integrity of the event, and you're being very careful. Um, so, Kat, what is the Connecticut Beer Trial all about?
2: So, the Connecticut Beer Trail is—it's a really great program. We sponsor it as the Connecticut Brewer Guild, so that way it's free for for all breweries and for all patrons. I, su- I suppose you you could say <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyone participating in the Connecticut Beer Trail will the last year it was a physical passport where you carried this tri-fold brochure in your pocket and you had mm-hmm. to get a physical stamp. And then at the end of your, at the end of your experience, whether you went to um, 10, 15 or 50 breweries, you would submit it and we would manually input all of that information so that you could cash in on your prize. Whereas now we are, We've transitioned to an app, so it's available on the iPhone and the Android. And you can carry it right in your phone, anywhere that you are. You can check into your brewery as long as you're in the tap room. It's GPS fence. Mm. And from there, you can check in which beers you're trying. You can see their latest up-to-date hours. You can um, post pictures. You can check in and see, see where your friends are at on the trail and try to beat them with how many breweries you've been to. Um, And you can also design your own trail, whether it's breweries that are closest to you or if you're going to the northwest corner, you can track all those and you can get directions from each brewery to the next. Wow. Um, So it's this really great interactive program where. Of, of course with every new app there's bound to be a few glitches along the way and we're we work we work to figure those out as quickly as possible <laughs> but it, it but, sounds um, like
0: you and your partner perhaps were were right on top of it with the app design you worked very closely with whoever designed it
2: yeah our app developers are really great and they are they available at all of our beck and calls we are in constant <laughs> communication with them asking for for improvements or for ridiculous ideas that we come up with <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great
0: so um now i want to go a little bit deeper down the bunny hole and talk about some covid issues only because i i would like to you know all of us to consider what organizations are going through these days to stay alive and and relative and And all that, you know, all that has to be considered. Um, So relative to the Guild, what is this issue of of
2: out-of-code
0: beer, cat? What's that all about?
2: Sure. So it's when, you know, breweries create their beer and they want it to be consumed as fresh as possible, especially when distributing. And, you know, you never know how long it's sitting in the cooler or how long until they they find it. Maybe they lost it somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, You know, with COVID, especially brewery, restaurants and package stores, some package stores have been closed for this entire time. So. Restaurants have kegs or cans that have been sitting around since it's possible since the new year. Wow. Yeah. So these are this just it's not as if there's necessarily anything wrong with the beer, but it might not be as good as if you had it. 10 months ago Mm -hmm. so of course everyone wants their product to be as as they envision it and so there is um a refund available for restaurants to get get reimbursed or credited for beer that has essentially gone past its due date um so that way they can get better quality right (laughs) they're not they're not gonna be judged on on this beer, the brewery or the restaurant gonna be judged on a beer that maybe it's been
0: sitting around for almost a year. And so we're talking about beer that is contained which makes it very different from wine. In other words, when beer gets in the can or the bottle, uh, it, it does have a, a shelf life, is that true? Because I, I, I didn't realize that. So there is an yeah, expiration the, date.
2: The The sort of rule of thumb is if it's in a can, drink it fresh, if it's in a bottle, drink it whenever you want
0: um mm-hmm. okay
2: you know because when canning beer a little bit of air is bound to get in and that air oxidizes the beer and it change it will change the flavor over a period of time ah, okay so it won't be as as envisioned well necessarily aging a bottle won't be as as envisioned either but that's more of an intentional factor um where you know pe- people people age bottles for for decades they're was a bottle out the other day it was a i believe it was a 15 year old 15 year old stout i had the other day <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow it was
2: delicious but there's no there's no saying what it'll taste like and uh when aging bottles it's a little bit easier to to trust that it will that the the process as a whole was intended for it to age yes, um, yes. whereas a beer that's canned like i'm not going to age a can of of an ipa from whoever for 10 years you know Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. whereas it's it's going to last about about three to four months
0: and what is the acronym ipa what what does
2: that stand for uh imperial pale ale
0: oh got it right so it seems like a lot of breweries before COVID, um, as I perused your website and, and got some of the terminology, they depended on the booming taproom model. Kat, what does that mean? And, and how are these beer makers adjusting to COVID without that revenue coming in?
2: So when a brewery opens, I mean, years ago, there wasn't necessarily the model where they had a taproom, but now that they, that people can purchase more beer at a time, um, and can go and sit in a tap room, it is their most profitable point of sale. So when you go to, they're, they're, they're not making a ton of money on cans. When you go to your package mm-hmm. store and you purchase a four pack or a six pack, they're making a couple dollars. Whereas if you go to the tap room, it's, they're still abiding by the same margin, if not less for, for what they're charging for their beer, mm-hmm. um, the market value as a whole. But they are able to tell you about the beer. They're able to show you new beers that they're excited about, and they're also able to make maybe four dollars on a beer. It's a way more accessible experience for the for the people who are going to consume and the people who are who are producing the beer. You know, it's. Uh, it's a way for them to develop a community and to develop brand loyalty, especially.
0: I see. And um, the Guild has also had to challenge some some lawmaking. Can you talk about that a little bit? What goes on with the challenges that you, as an organization, have had to face with uh, the buying and selling of beer?
2: Well, so during COVID, especially, it's been a trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. We uh, We were able to pass the laws that were needed. And changed the the verbiage of certain regulations so that breweries were able to do curbside pickup and home delivery mm. during the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, at the beginning of COVID, everyone was forced to shut down, as you know, and breweries were not deemed as an essential employee. Oh, so I see. As right. we saw that people we're drinking more i believe the sales for for alcohol rose like 55% <laughs> during the mm-hmm. pandemic
0: uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> yeah i think we've all heard something about that yep
2: yeah <laughs> uh-huh. and so i mean with that we were we were able to convince the the state that we were an essential employee and that we were keeping connecticut's economy going by being open yes as opposed to package stores opening who sell a variety of brands from all over the world that breweries specifically are able to support the local economy and keep people employed
0: wonderful wonderful and that leads me to the notion of marketing cat you design labels isn't that right i do yes Please share a couple of the labels that that you have designed, and because I know that this this really takes some creativity. With there's some charming ones out there that I've noticed. So I can only imagine with the Connecticut Brewers Guild that you 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 know, in representation of your organization, that this is this is a really fun, probably very serious uh, undertaking.
2: It is really fun, and it's it's exciting too to you know, figure out what you're going to do for each can. You want it to stand out from the shelves. You want it to be something that someone might resonate with. Yeah. What, um, name.
0: Give us a couple of examples of what you've designed.
2: So I work with Marlowe Artisanal Ales out of 12% Beer Project mm. in North Haven. And so with his cans, he's really focused on creating a really beautiful beer, typically low ABV, so i I believe that the highest percentage on his beers was five point four percent, and so he's really concentrated on creating a really easy drinking low alcohol beer oh, um, nice. and gives me the flexibility of of coming up with a name and the design so, so <laughs> I, our first can as as he's opening we're we're brainstorming and um we come up with the name eager to share because he's oh. eager to share his his beer with the world and um you know it's sort of also this this idea of if someone buys a spore pack and they want to share it with someone it's yeah yeah. it's this whole new thing of i am sharing this beer with you and uh it's quality time and he's excited to share his first beer
0: and so what is the what is the drawing like what is the image on the on the label
2: (laughs) well (laughs) as the brainstorming of who shares and who does it well and not well? <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought of seagulls. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I thought that, uh, you know, you see them on the beach diving after your sandwich. And right. Uh, I thought maybe they could be diving after branches of oranges oh. because the beer is made with citra hops. And oh, wow. um, it's a juicier, juicier American parallel, So you are sort of picking up on the flavors that you're going to be drinking before diving into the beer itself. So looking at the can, you might laugh at the seagulls, you might remember that time at the beach with whoever. Yes. And you're also... Getting a vision of what you're going to be drinking.
0: Yes, and and uh, us we in Connecticut love our shorelines, so that's that's a very nice uh, local image there. Um, <laughs> how, how about sharing one more? Because these are really like little bits of poetry. We'd love to just get inside your creative process. What's another label you've come up with?
2: Uh, the latest one that I did was for his one year anniversary, and it just came out a few weeks ago, so it should it should still be available actually, um, and it's his first double IPA so in that i thought well you know despite all odds he did it so i named the beer (laughs) despite all odds oh great and um i referenced the great wave painting and drew several gigantic waves sort of towering over um this little rubber duck
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's wonderful that's so charming (laughs) that's really awesome so what fun it's great that you have that um uh, you know, creative inspiration as, as part of your work, for sure. So another really community-oriented direction that the Connecticut Brewers Guild has taken is a focus on African-American brewers and female brewers. Kat, can you talk about what, what has inspired this focus?
2: Well, you look at, I mean, the whole, the whole, the community as a whole right now, especially during the pandemic, and you, we step back and we realized that, that it's a very common thing to envision a very not very large but relatively large (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh,
2: white bearded man brewing beer or working in a brewery Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuck out for us where we were concerned and um we worked with a couple breweries to sort of figure out this diversity and inclusion problem and Um, In January, we actually held our first annual uh, Connecticut Craft Beer Conference where we had the diversity professor at Sacred Heart University speak on diversity and inclusion. And it's become a main mission of ours to create an environment where people feel comfortable to come, especially Mm -hmm. as we're sort of in our infancy stage as an industry as a whole, um, providing opportunity for people of color or, or women to join in on this collaborative effort where we want, we want all minds, you know, it's a creative industry and having a culture is dependent on having diversity.
0: Yes. And, 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 and beer is such a wonderful connective thing. It should absolutely transcend these things. They, they shouldn't even be at the, at the gate of, 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 you know, beer making or beer drinking. It's there. That's really wonderful that you're creating this new, uh, connective thing and and reaching out in this way so how's it been going have you have you had some interest from this yeah i mean it's
2: it's been going it's been going relatively well i mean we're we're still in sort of the the beginnings of our efforts to work through this sort of just general process of of efforts and um yeah we worked with new england brewing company and sacred heart to develop a diversity and inclusion scholarship for a new brewing sciences program at that. We help develop at sacred heart. And we also are working closely with the people who are of, of a diverse, um, attribute, I guess, whether they be women or people of color and, um, making sure that they have a voice and making sure that they're understood and what they think we should be doing and just keeping an ear, out, making sure that people feel comfortable asking us questions or, um, or asking for help, and right. so we just want it to be an inclusive environment for everyone, and don't want to have the intimidation factor of of uh, maybe I don't belong here.
0: Yes. Right. If you're just joining us, this is WPKN, Listener Supported Radio, and we've been speaking with Kat Manning, a great conversation about the Connecticut Brewers Guild. And Kat, is there any topic we didn't cover that you'd like to mention? Where can listeners reach out to you if they'd like more information?
2: People are welcome to go on our website, connecticut.beer, and they're more than welcome to email me directly at kat at connecticut.beer, and that's Kat with a K. And my partner, Phil, and I would be happy to talk to anyone um, and answer any questions that people may have along the way. Great Kat.
0: thank you so much, and the Connecticut Brewers Guild for keeping Connecticut and Greater New Haven vibrant with the promise of artisan beverage culture. And we will hope and with a, you know, hope for the super fun event in April. And thanks so much, Kat Manning, for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me on. It was fun.
0: All right, have a great day ahead. You too. This, of course, is WPKN 89.5, streaming from Bridgeport CT. And this about wraps it up for the November edition of What's Happening, New Haven. And... Uh, We also, by the way, have a podcast page on the WPKN website where you'll find a lot of super fun, inspired programs you can enjoy whenever you want. And What's Happening New Haven is on that page too. We hope you have a sweet November ahead and get some early planning in for the ways you can celebrate gratitude for what's good great and beautiful in your life. Have a cozy month ahead. I'm Bonnie Likes with Sean Bigler at the board, and we look very forward to sharing another broadcast with you the first Monday of December at high noon. Till then, take good care of yourself and keep smiling.